Welcome to Elixir Mix, your Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Lars Bikman, and on our panel today we have myself, Bruce Tate. Hi folks. Alex Kutmus. Howdy, howdy. And Josh Adams. Present. And joining us we also have our honored guest, Connor Rigby. Connor, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Connor Rigby, work for Binary Noggin, you Elixir. Sweet. You're also slightly famous in the community around nerves. Everyone tells so me I- that. <laughs> Roxio calls themselves career rocket fuel for curious coders. They are some of the most experienced Elixir trainers in the business with over five years of Elixir teaching experience. We're in the midst of a pandemic, but don't let that stop you from continuing to learn. Roxio offers remote Elixir and OTP live training courses with no more than six participants. These short two and a half day sessions give you plenty of keyboard time with your coach, Bruce Tate, co-author of the Programming Phoenix and Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. Roxio also has three extensive Elixir self-study courses available. Whether you want to learn Elixir, OTP, or Phoenix Live View, the self-guided trainings give you the videos, projects, and books you need to make your own breakthroughs. Roxio wants to be your Elixir on-ramp. Subscribe or buy a course today at grox.io. So I want to start off by noting that there has been a recent burst of very cool stuff from the Nerves core team and surroundings recently. So Bakeware, Blue Heron, Nerves Hub updates, Flutter, what is going on here and will it uh, continue? I think it's just that time of year. Bakeware actually has a bit of a history to it, not the project itself, but the name. There was, right when I first got involved in Nerves, actually, Nerves was like almost had like a sister project called Bakeware. And so when we were looking for names for the Spawnfest entry, that was actually just one, like we happened, like we still had the domain and like a bunch of art for like uh, icons and assets and stuff. We just happened to have it. So we just repurposed it because it never took off back in like 2015 or whatever. Um, but nice also, and... yeah, Bakeware doesn't actually, like, we didn't want it to be a nerves project thing. It just, we couldn't convince anyone else to work with us. No one else wanted to stay up for 48 hours straight to hang out with a bunch of embedded nerds, I guess. So Spawnfest, can you just tell us briefly what that is? Because I think it flew by a lot of people and it seems really cool. Yeah, I didn't actually know what it was either. It's like, a, I guess a hackathon is what you would call it. It's a contest sponsored by a few Elixir companies who I probably should know. I know Grisp sponsored it and probably probably Erlang Solutions, but I don't remember. Anyways, it's 24 hour like hackathon thing and every like, you know, five or six teams submitted their project that they worked on for 48 hours and now they're judging them and picking a winner. I was deeply disappointed that I wasn't able to plan sufficiently ahead of time to participate I um, because I'm bad at time management. Yeah, I kind of got sucked into it. I was I was really excited, and then I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, do people really need? I guess I should explain what Bakeware is. It's just a single executable Elixir release. Basically, it makes your mix release command omit a single executable that you can distribute, rather than having to like untar the full release and everything. And I, I didn't think that like that was going to be something that the community really like wanted or needed. And then like after we were done, like it has the most stars on any of the on any of the Spawnfest entries right now. And like it made it to the front page of Hacker News within like 48 hours. So I guess someone wants it. Is it pinned to any architecture or can you say run something on any old ARM device that you can produce an executable for? Or can you produce an executable for like an ARM, say a Pine phone? Uh, we can. 
right now in the 48 hours, we're not allowed to work on it anymore. The, re the repos got set to read only. I think we're planning on kind of pioneering it a little bit farther, but cross compilation is possible. We just haven't set up the tooling yet. I expect that we'll abuse some of the nerves tooling to do it for us. Right now, if you have, like if you want to deploy to a Linux box, you have to build on a Linux box. If you want to deploy on a Windows or on a OS X box, you know, you have to build on an OS X. Mac OS is not called OS X anymore. And I Thanks. think Windows is supported trademark emoji, but I don't know that anyone tested it. So good luck. Can you give us like a, you know, 1000 foot view of how, how Bakeware actually does its magic like you know are you stuffing the the compressed file in the executable and and on yeah it's, on target on the fly how's that work so frank did all of the frank Hunlith did all of the hard work of bakeware really it's a a little tiny c executable that basically knows how to unpack itself and it just it does a little bit of magic to keep cached version so it only unpacks itself once it unpacks it into the user's home directory somewhere in the in the cache directory or wherever your system is configured to store cached files. And then it'll it'll leave it unpacked there and only override it if there is a difference in the, the packed uh, content. So it's pretty, uh, the first startup is like slower than preceding ones. It's still kind of slow in terms of like a Linux executable that you would expect to run really quickly, right? Like, you know, you don't expect there to be a quarter second wait when you run grep but if you implemented grep and elixir, there would be a quarter second wait waiting for Beam to start up and everything, which some nice folks on Hacker News were just really quick to decide that the project was absolute garbage because of that. Like that quarter second wait, we can't have that. Yeah, Hold on, somebody complained on the internet? Yeah, that's it's something that happens, I guess. It strikes me as the least surprising thing ever to hear that Frank was right in the middle of it and in doing the heavy lifting, right? <laughs> That's usually how it goes. I actually, I kind of came in late and just like soaked up all the fame, really. I had a race, I had do car racing um, and I happened to have one that, that same weekend. And so I didn't get much work in on Saturday and then I dedicated most of Sunday uh, to this project. I stayed up real late and overnight and all that, all that good okay. stuff. Okay, car racing, let's just put a pin in that before Alex goes wild and Let's maybe look at what we were actually asking you here to talk about. Aside from the Bakeware press tour, maybe you're just the press representative, but there's this heron emoji that's showing up in a lot of nurse channels these days. So what's what's that all about? The Blue Heron's our new uh, Bluetooth library. It's recently released. I've been working on it for, I don't know, a few months now. Me and... Uh, John Carson's and uh, Frank Hunlith, of course. Uh, so again, not strictly the nerves team, but you know how these things go. So did you find the icon and then did you find the emoji and then pick the library name or did it go the other way around? I think the library name was probably like the biggest source of delay on getting the library out actually. Like I had been telling people that were like really close to releasing this thing for like a week, maybe two weeks. And like the only holdup was like, us trying to decide on a name, which of course, you know, naming is hard. That's the thing. I don't remember how the name came up. I was just throwing out all kinds of random, like, you know, silly names. I I, I suggested calling it Blue Man Group, but Frank didn't want to get sued. <laughs> yeah, Blue Heron, I think, is a great name. You know, we actually right outside, we've got a couple of herons that that hang out on the riverbank. And 
So now I can think about you and Frank, not in a creepy way at all. Not in a creepy way. That's good. You should uh, grab a picture of them and have someone digitally illustrate it so we can have an icon. Because right now we're doing the classic nerves thing of none of us are artists. So we just picked an emoji. Oh, so challenge accepted. We'll we'll think about an, an icon. So what makes nerves a particularly good environment for working on something like Blue Heron? I think a lot of people have been wanting Bluetooth and nerves and they just like had like there's been a lot of people that like think that they want this and they're like, oh, that's just too much work. I'm just going to, you know, use an Arduino or, or something to that effect. I know very kind of started Bluetooth a couple of years ago, and I think they even shipped a product with it, but not all of it made it into the open source world. So we, we kind of didn't get a ton of, like we used it as, as a starting place, but there was a lot of, a lot of missing pieces there. So yeah, it's just like something that a lot of people have wanted and no one's actually put in the time and effort. And basically the entire nerves core team has been saying like, you know, at some point, one of our respective companies are going to need Bluetooth and they're going to find it. And until then, like you guys are kind of on your own and SmartRent finally had a use case for, for Bluetooth. So now we're finally getting the library that everyone has wanted. Cool. What were some of the uh, the challenges around implementing uh, Blue Heron? Was it more or less just trying to figure out what the spec means and implementing it, or was there some yeah, other the challenges? Spec, yeah, the spec sure is like a thing. It's like a three thousand page document or something, of which like maybe fourteen pages are useful. It it wasn't like I won't say it wasn't incredibly challenging because we're only like you know we've only implemented like kind of portions of it. So there's definitely more stuff to be done. And that said, we're also not doing Bluetooth Classic, which is the retroactively named of what you would canonically call Bluetooth. Like when you get a set of Bluetooth headphones, they're now Bluetooth Classic headphones. Just no one calls them that. But I, no one really plans, or at least Blue Heron isn't intended to be in the implementation of Bluetooth Classic just because it has so many like moving parts that don't really fit embedded super well. Um, but in terms of like the things that were hard to implement on it, it was just like a lot of binary and bit string pattern matching, which I really enjoy doing in Elixir. It's so much easier than like looking at like a comparison of the C code, like writing a, writing a, a parser for the, the data that is sent back and forth to the Bluetooth module is like, you know, 30 lines of Elixir compared to like 1600 lines of C. The first protocol parser I wrote in Elixir when I finished, I was like, wait, I'm done. That's exactly how I felt. I was like, that's it. Yeah, I, I definitely love you know, bit string matching. It's made uh, working in healthcare so much easier because with all the HL7 messages coming back and forth, you have to wrap them in envelopes and unpack them from envelopes. And it's just, it, it feels like you're cheating half the time because you could do a simple pattern match, extract what you need, and then you're on your way. And that's exactly what it is. It's unfair. Uh, that's more or less what all of Bluetooth is. It's just everything is an envelope for something else. Like there'll be like, you know, 128 bit message that has like you know four bits of data inside of it because it's all wrapped in all of these sub protocols and envelopes and everything it's really like it's amazing that everything works and i guess they must have spent a lot of time working out this spec but there are a lot of things where i'm like why why is this this way i don't understand the use case that they were going for with this you gotta love how efficient the modern day is not a not a cycle wasted so roughly what things from Bluetooth Classic, because I think you will get this question. What things from Bluetooth Classic do you think people will miss? I know audio is a big one. 
Yeah, audio is probably a big one, but there's nothing stopping you from doing audio over BLE, Bluetooth low energy. It's just not going to be um, like you would have to spend a custom solution to do it. Like there's, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. But yeah, audio would probably be the biggest one that people are used to. There are some other things in the Bluetooth Classic spec, like in network IPv4 over Bluetooth Classic, which I'm sure like six people in existence have used. And those six people are going to email me and tell me, why doesn't your library support this? I don't really know a ton about Bluetooth Classic, though. That's I know fair. that when I get in my car and my phone doesn't sync to my radio, I blame Bluetooth Classic. That, that's about all I know. And then after, like, after working on BLE and everything, like, I built a couple little small apps just to, um, you know, test the library to get a feel for it, right? Because like when you're developing a library, you can do all this stuff that you want to make it work. But if it like sucks to use, then, you know, no one's going to use it. So I've been doing little test apps to make sure it doesn't suck to use. And just the amount of work required, and maybe this is just an Elixir thing, but like, it's not that hard. I don't understand why every time I buy a new radio, my phone doesn't work with, with it, like, these are all standardized specifications. What What's going on like in that stupid little Chinese radio that's preventing it from working? Sounds like we need to start embedding Elixir nerves devices in all automobiles. Right. I have, never mind. I, I won't go on that tangent. <laughs> no, we want to hear that tangent. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I want to hear that tangent. <laughs> so probably two or three years ago, I, I do autocross, which usually involves, autocross is a form of racing, usually involves collecting some sort of data about yourself and your vehicle so you can you know see that you're improving um and and i built there's like a lot of commercial solutions for doing this where you like put sensors and stuff all over the place and uh, i just stuck a a nerves device that collected everything to a csv file and then wrote some elixir to parse the csv file because i was too cheap to buy the official uh you know any of the the commercial solutions i don't have two thousand dollars for those telemetry boxes that are like I, you know ten dollars of hardware right that that's my biggest hurdle is like i'm paying for their r d cost and i just like there are certain things where i just can't bring myself to pay for it because i know what's in the box and yeah. i know that you know it's like 14 dollars worth of random you know stuff they found on Alibaba and just like saw together in a little black box and sold it to me for $2,000. I just can't bring myself to pay for it. I, I won't take us on the autocross tangent because I too am an autocrosser, uh -huh. but I, I have a similar to-do list item, which is to create a, uh, you know, write a nerves project for like capturing basic telemetry stuff. So I'm glad I'm not alone in that, uh, <laughs> in that camp. So it really strikes me. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to make a comment, it's the build it yourself mentality. You know, if you sink 30 hours into building one tiny feature, then you just saved yourself, you know, $2,000 if your time is worth nothing. Right, right, right. So I, I think that there's, that this is a, a common use case that we're going to start seeing more and more that nerves is getting so good at collecting data that the idea that other other environments for embedded systems, once once you keep adding the concurrency that's going to add to the Bluetooth and the networking, they're going to be less and less optimal. And we're going to have so many use cases where we're collecting a ton of data and we're going to need some type, something that probably isn't Elixir to pair with that to actually do kind of the modeling and the machine learning and things like that. So I'm really excited about 
checking out the combination between nervous devices and and the Julia language. I, I think that that's just really exciting to me. I've been seeing a lot about Julia. I haven't looked a ton into it. I think one of my favorite combinations of like nerves, like my bread and butter for my new nerves project is to make it sent to like a Phoenix backend, just because, you know, you can handle the concurrent connections without like a ton of issues, you know, that could be replaced with like an MQTT broker or RabbitMQ or whatever stuff. I've done that in the past as well. But just using like, I really like to just, you know, make a new folder, mix phx.new and mix nerves.new, you know, send one to the cloud and send one to my device. And then like in 20 minutes, I now have like a full stack Elixir solution. And one of the other, one of the other things I've done is in like, so I'll, I'll use the Phoenix app as like a broker to other languages and frameworks. So I needed to, I wanted to run AI on like, I have a Raspberry Pi zero that takes camera that takes photos. And I wanted to blur out people from the photos because I didn't want like, so the long story is I connected it to a discord bot. So you can just change my lights whenever you want. If you're, you know, if this bot is in your server or whatever, it's like a really stupid project that I did just to test out the blue heron library. But I figured, Hey, I've got a raspberry Pi zero with a camera on it. Why not just make it take pictures of the lights so they can see I'm not faking it. And so now, you know, now anyone can take pictures of my office. And then I was like, well, I don't know about that. So on on the back end, the Phoenix back end, I was like, okay, let me just sprinkle, you know, just sprinkle some AI on it. And so I just pulled in like a Python library that does it. And you can just wire up a Python port and like, you know, there's a package called a pip package. I don't remember what it's called, Erlang Pi or something like that. And, and it implements ETS. So you can just like term to binary, send your data to Python over a port and then have it process whatever the stuff is and send back whatever. And like, just everything feels so uh, ergonomic, I guess. Like you don't have to do very much work at all when you just stay within, like if, if you just use, I like to use Phoenix as just more like, or Elixir specifically as like a broker to other frameworks and stuff. And I think that's just its sweet spot personally. Yeah, using yeah. BERT to integrate any old thing is is fantastic. And I do it all the time. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's really a coming use case. And, and just as the, as the data collector and as a middleman, I think that that's going to be like an underrated, underrated piece. And and you can add live view to that as kind of a dashboard to kind of do do these cool visualizations, especially mixed with that SVG. But as the as more and more data comes in, you, you you've got to imagine that we 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 need to be building like like your use case, um, Connor. We're, we're talking about how do you optimize this chunk of data, right? What, what are the, what are the four things that I can do, the tangible things that I could do to optimize this model, to make this, this race faster, right? You know, maybe we're not hitting the, the turns hard enough, or, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're too hard on the, the, the tires too early in the race, whatever it is, right? You know, just those, those tiny optimizations, but that, that kind of takes us into math that Elixir's just not good at, right? Whether it's it's the precision, whether it's the numeric libraries and, and floating point precision, or whether it's just not having the mutability that you need to solve these huge differential equations. Right, yeah, Erlang just in its, because of the immutability and just the way that the VM is, it's, I mean, like it's, it can be plenty fast for like a lot of use cases, but stuff like, like, like you're saying, like AI or, or any huge computation, like I, I wouldn't want to set Erlang out to compute 
prime numbers or anything like that. You know, even with concurrency, it just it's not what it's made for. It's not it's not the the, the move there. Yeah, I wonder if the jits they've added or are working on adding that would be will actually move the needle there. Actually, yeah, they did uh, say that things that are computation heavy were like binary pattern matching got like a thirty something percent increase in performance by just enabling the JIT. Yeah, and that's 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 huge, right? But there's also the the programming model underneath, right? It's like we have these massive matrices, and and when you're when you're mutating big lists, especially when you're big mutating big lists of lists in, in Elixir, <laughs> that's tough, right? That's just tough. So you either have to to flip it to to use something like ETS or something, which, by the way, Joanna had a great talk in Elixir conference, Elixir conference a year and a half or two years ago now, where she optimized string performance. Um, oh, I remember that talk actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she kind of was playing with with ETS, right? And so I think that you could go in that direction, but still, I think that- It starts um, to feel like at a certain point, you're working against the tooling, right? Like there are things that are built for this and I'm, I'm pretty big on just use the right tool for the job. And uh, right. there are certain tools that just aren't the right ones for the job. And like, I, I love using Elixir for as many things as I possibly can, but like doing big computation is not one of them. I will say, right. however, that Halemi, I think is the name of it. If I'm pronouncing that correct, I hope. Zaki, some of the folks from Japan, they're working on getting GPU bindings into into Elixir. They've written their own like DSL and, and it like just in time compiles to GPU code. This is all something that I, I know very little about, but it's really cool. I think it was uh, it's CUDA, right? It's not OpenCL, if I recall correctly. I think I'm with the library in the past. I think it's CUDA. I seem to remember it being NVIDIA specific, but yeah. I know that I give them pointers on like getting their stuff to run on nerves but other than that like all of the stuff they're doing is so incredibly over my head that i i just let them do their thing and i tell them it's very cool whenever i see it it's, yeah, it's no, a great idea we have we have all this horsepower that's that's kind of going un, under underused right now um and yeah. it does exactly the kinds of math that we're talking about yeah I, I do love the fact that the beam like specializes as to what it could do and like it doesn't make any excuses like if, if you need something that's computationally or made something that's made for computation, use something else. And you know, the beam and Erlang and Elixir give you plenty of tools to kind of escape out of the beam and and use something else pretty easily. Like you use a port and with with Rustler now you can use safe NIFs, you don't have to worry about crashing the beam. So there's plenty of escape hatches to to kind of make up for those those shortcomings in the beam. And I, I think that's really great that you know it doesn't make any excuses. You don't have to you know, shoehorn it in there, it's readily available and you can easily leverage these things. So this Python library you mentioned, was that Earl Port, just straight up? Earl Port? No, but I no. wonder if it's something that I should be using instead of spinning it myself every time. Um, yeah, so I think it's Earl, called Earl Pi. Let me check real quick. Yeah. I would not be surprised if it's built on top of Earl Port, which is a way of just running Python processes as, as ports and calling them straight from Erlang or Elixir. Uh, I just noticed for something that might interest Bruce, which is that there is a Julia Erlang implementation for Aeroports. So have you been looking into that at all? Yeah. So one of the things we do with Groxio is that we, we try to move move users into kind of a new 
a new area of learning for them, an area of growth, right? So the idea is that you knock them down to to one and let them build back up. And you do that often enough and you have programmers that really know how to learn, right? And so the scenario that we're focused on for, for this particular Groxio unit is building a service in Julia. And I think that we're going to go on the web services web services route. We looked at more of a native implementation, but I was a little bit afraid of it. <laughs> so I want to to kind of go instead toward, you know, kind of the kind of the middleman or the information broker that Connor was talking about. And so, and I'm not sure if if I'm going to be building if the live view multi-part upload will be done in time for me to use, but that'd be cool, right? So, you know, upload and categorize pictures with with that type of a, a feature. But I, I think that I want to do a service first. And then, and then as the year goes on, look at more native you know, implementations, but we'll kind of see. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. And taking us back to uh, Blue Heron a bit. So I was taking a look at the project. I think it's, what do we call it, a poncho project? But it seems like a couple of directories in there. Can you go over kind of the high-level architecture? Like there's the Blue Heron, and then there's the... Like, I'm going to butcher the names. I'm going to have to look it up now. <laughs> but yeah, could you give us a kind of high-level overview of what those are? Yeah, we just... So last year, the year before, we made a networking library or a networking stack really for NURBS. And we started it all out in the same project and like inevitably it ended up needing to be split out into like functional pieces, you know, like, you know, users that are only using Ethernet don't need to have the full Wi-Fi stack, etc. So we ended up having to break it out and we knew we were going to do that from the very beginning. We just didn't like plan ahead, I guess. And it was kind of painful splitting it all out. It took us like a couple of weeks to like manage and get out. So with, with Blue Heron, we kind of took the brunt of that up front and split it out early. And the only reason we kept them all in the same repository is just for churn purposes, basically. Like it's just to prevent having like when you push a release and now you have to release like three other projects at the same time this is something that happens with nerves all the time and it takes up so much of our time just pushing releases like you know we support systems for like 10 different arm devices and they all require pushing things individually so like you know on release release day we call it you know there's like 14 repositories that all get published at once and it's like sort of tedious and annoying. So anyways, long story short is we just put them all on the same project for now, just to prevent us having to do like mixed releases and stuff all the time while we're working on things or changing to get depths or whatever. In the future, they're going to get split out into separate repositories, probably I think in like next week actually. But anyways, for like a functional overview, there's the Blue Heron like project. And that's like the core of the BLE implementation. And then there's two transports in there, Blue Heron Transport UART and Blue Heron Transport USB. And these are part of the USB spec. So basically everything, like at the lowest level, a Bluetooth packet, if you will, is classified as like an HCI packet, a host controller interface. 
is what my brain tells me that is stands for. And those can be brokered over various different methods. And I, what I want to say is like, probably at some point there was no standardization for that. So like people were just like wrapping it however they wanted people as in like companies, you know, when they implemented Bluetooth hardware, they're just kind of doing whatever with it. And someone was like, Hey, we should standardize this. So they did. And so now there's standard protocols for using USB standard protocols for UART. And then there's even like, I think there's one for spy as well, which I've never seen a spy Bluetooth module, but anyways, it's basically just the way to send and receive data, which is just another envelope for more data. The UART one, however, is the one that NERS users are probably going to want to use. I've found that most embedded devices, if they have a Bluetooth chip on them, they're connected via UART. USB isn't particularly common for embedded devices. Just curious, for somebody who wants to get involved with this project and wants to kind of test drive it, what would be a Hello World type project for for Blue Heron? So I really want to build like an Arduino example because I figure people that are doing this probably are going to have an Arduino laying around. Right now, the Hello World is spend $20 on a particular Bluetooth enabled light bulb, which quite a few people have done. But I don't like having like an entry point that costs money to get involved in something like that. It bugs me. So I, I want to have something that's a little more accessible. I mean, like $20 is cheap, but it's not free. So anyways, there are two examples in the Blue Heron repository right now for these Govee devices. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's Gove or Govee, G-O-V-E-E. And I reverse engineered and stole some code and got the protocol for talking with them based on like dumping the the packet structure and stuff. Because like BLE is, I, I, I should have started with this actually, BLE by itself is super insecure. Like if you have a light bulb and like you're changing the color of your light bulb in your house, unless it's from like a name brand, like even you should check the name brands as well. But like you can just have any Android device record all of the Bluetooth packets that get sent back and forth and you can just play them back. So like if someone like, you know, I, I don't know about any of the, any of the, like the higher end stuff, but I know my $20 light bulb, I was able to just like sniff the packets over the air and then play them back and change my light bulb color. Internet's project is you go downtown to your favorite metropolis, find a building, building that's running these and write. Yeah, right. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like, when stuff opens back up again, I'm just going to go to all my favorite coffee shops and start looking at the lights and seeing if they're weird colors and then just, you know, wait for someone to change them. But yeah, anyways, so the, those, those Govee lights, they're very insecure or whatever, but they're also super cheap. And there's, there's a hello world kind of, you know, it's basically Bluetooth enabled Blinky where you turn a light different colors from IEX. It's pretty cool, actually. The first day I got it, to, like, I don't know, there's something about making a light turn on that is just you don't get that from anything else. And I've been doing embedded for like six, seven years now and turning a light on will still be like one of the best feelings. It's a little better than that dot in my test suite turned green. Right. So hooking up your uh, LED light strip to your test suite. So you get, <laughs> you get a pro move light actually, because we, I, I have these individually addressable uh, lights and I could just make them all turn green. It's just as long as I don't have more than like uh, 64 tests. We did this with a, uh, with an actual traffic light. 
at our old office. No Bluetooth. That's pretty nice. But you don't get each individual test then. So if you have no. these individually addressable, then you can. Then you can. Our traffic light is garbage. That's a good idea point. For a new project. Yeah. Traffic uh, light. The traffic light on the wall of shame. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't get approval to hook up tasers to individual chairs. You broke continuous integration. Yeah, so Connor, you all got me to order some of these lights, and I have set them up, but I'm still waiting for that release of Flutter to to get your UI for controlling them, because I see that color picker, and I want it. So how is the Flutter stuff going? It's going. uh, That's another project that SmartRent is kind of pioneering. It's it's fun. It's interesting. I might be at the point of getting a little bit of burnout on it, but every time I tweet about it, the teaser, uh, everyone gets pretty excited about it. So, you know, that renews my my interest because you know someone's excited about it, even if it's not me at the t- current moment. It's a really cool project. I've spent a lot of thinking hours on it. It's a bit interesting the way that Flutter chose to build their engine, I guess. And just like the entire project as a whole, it's very modular. It's very pluggable, I guess, but they don't really tell you how to plug it. So you can you can stick the Flutter engine in just about anything you want, but they don't really give you a ton of information on what to actually do with it. And so that's been kind of my current my current project. So I've I've had it running on nerves, which was kind of a hurdle to get it there. And I haven't hooked it up to Bluetooth yet, but that's going to be my next teaser for sure. So next time you see me tweet about it, it'll probably be on a nurse device changing the lights because that's just, I just like to work Twitter for my 